Welcome back to the In The Lead show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and you're listening to episode number 36. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Dr. L. Carol Scott about how you can become a trauma-informed leader. Now, a little bit about Dr. Carol Scott. She thought she'd be a shrink or professor who trained shrinks, but life said, no, go this way. And right now, we all need that way urgently. As a 2018 TEDx speaker and author, Dr. L. Carol Scott is a coach, trainer, a keynoter who teaches that relationships are at the heart of all our successes. Clients with growth goals turn to Carol for unexpected strategies to expand success through better relationships. The surprise in Carol's self-awareness success strategies is their origin in the first career in her first career of early care and education with a BA in child development, a BA in anthropology, an MA in early childhood education, and a PhD in deve- developmental psychology. Carol appears to be an unlikely success coach, especially in the corporate world. Today's conversation with Carol about how you can become a trauma-informed leader and why it's important that we all become trauma-informed was a really fascinating conversation. And I think it's applicable to anybody in life because the more that we are informed of our own trauma, we can start becoming more informed of the trauma that's around us and in others. Um, I think this is a really key component to leadership, especially self-leadership and how we can all be better leaders of ourselves. Before we get into the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, follow the show, like it, share it with your friends, families, colleagues, leave me a comment. Let me know how you like the topic for today's show or other shows. I would really appreciate it if wherever you're listening, you leave a rating so that others can get the same value out of these conversations that I hope you all are getting as well. Thank you for listening to the In The Lead show. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and check out the In The Lead newsletter. Every week I send out mindfulness and leadership tips to help you become the best leader of you. See the show notes for a link to subscribe to the newsletter or go to www.intheleadshow.com and subscribe there. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the In The Lead show. My name is Jennifer Sang and I'm joined today by Dr. L. Carol Scott, to talk about success strategies for how to become a trauma-informed leader. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I am really looking forward to this. I am too. Uh, It's one of my favorite topics, and I love um, talking about how we can all become more trauma-informed, and I think it's important as a leader to understand trauma and develop strategies to help address it, especially in organizations. So I'm excited to talk to you today. But before we get started, I would love to know a little bit more about who Carol is. Thank you. Um, I'm a developmental psychologist, as you noted, and I uh, grew up in the Midwest, in Kansas City mostly. Um, Attended um, University of Kansas thinking that I would become a clinical psychologist. So I was headed toward trauma from the beginning. And then I took a class in development and was just pulled in a completely different direction that wound up leading me back to trauma in the end anyway. And I became someone who taught little kids and taught teachers of little kids 
and then moved into leadership positions in my field, working in a public school district as a grants administrator for a federally funded research program, working in a quasi-government agency, bringing together city and county governments around the issue of young kids, and basically just kind of developing all I could to help improve the quality of the experience for children whether it's at home with their parents or in an early care and education program like a preschool or a child care center. Wow, that's awesome. And I assume through all of that work, you must have gotten pretty familiar with what trauma looks like. So I'm curious, how would you define trauma? Trauma, I think, is anything that um, has a, a significant immediate impact on the body's systems and gets stored there because it isn't um, processed in the moment. So for example, recently I was with a three-year-old during um, a traumatic experience when her older brother fell and really seriously hurt himself and there was blood and there was dramatic activity. And I pulled her onto my lap and talked her through in a really calm, centered kind of way what was happening and telling her that it was going to be okay and that they were going to what was going to happen next they're going to put him in the car and take him to the hospital and you and I are going to be here together and we went through that conversation and then while they were at the hospital we sat and uh, just played quietly together put a puzzle together and she didn't say anything except here's another piece that kind of stuff and when it was all over she didn't have any trauma impact from that experience she wasn't upset when they got home she wasn't upset the next day she isn't afraid of the stairs where he fell none of that kind of residual uh, leftovers from the experience they just weren't there because we processed it in the moment and kept her system calm and so it's when something like that shocks the physical systems the sensing systems and the the um, the internal systems of the body and gets recorded in the central nervous system without any processing. It leaves behind it the traumatic impact. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest revelations I made in my at least trauma journey is understanding what trauma actually is because I think I had a misconception, and I know a lot of others do as well. Where it we feel like trauma has to be these really big significant impacts, but it can be small things, right? Like somebody falls, gets hurt. I mean, not small, but I mean, it's not like I I would think of like molestation or abandonment or abuse. It's not always um, these big events that shock our systems. They can be small events that when you look back in your life, you go, oh, that, you know, wasn't a really huge event, but it had a huge impact on your system. The, the big events that uh, violate your body's boundary, that um, it physically impact your systems at the level of, you know, interference with you, those are, those are traumas too. And that's not all there is. There is witnessing something difficult, challenging, scary, uh, moments when we're briefly terrified stick with us. And the way you know they stick with you is because you still remember it in detail and you describe it the same way today that you described it 20 years ago when it happened. That means it's wired in there as a trauma impact. Yeah. Or you can even feel it in your body or you can feel even the same. For me, it's more of like a sensory, like feeling. Um, I can feel what either that 
anxiety or that stress or that panic or whatever that was in the environment at that moment look like I can almost feel it in my body. So it does manifest if it seems in a lot of different ways. Um, why is it important for us to be informed about trauma? Because we live out the trauma in our behavior. So the inputs to the system get recorded and then our behavior is like playing a version of the tape. And we're not even aware that we're acting out the trauma, but our wind up not being our own anymore. We say what we do in the moment is triggered by the repetition of the experience. It starts the tape playing. And we are not always aware that that's happening. And we wind up saying things we wish we hadn't doing things we wish we didn't do. Yeah. 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 It, I find that we're more reactive when we're more trauma informed, we can be more responsive. We have more choices. We're able to make different decisions that aren't rooted in that traumatic event or whatever you're holding in your body from that event, whatever residual feelings or um, inputs might be there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, one thing my therapist always talks to me about, which, you know, I, I always like to keep as kind of a frame of reference is in our everyday lives, we're either coming up against our own traumas or we're coming up against things that reference traumas that we have experienced. So it's not always also so obvious, maybe to the naked eye, like going, oh yes, that, that is definitely trauma. Um, that's the stuff that I'm really interested about because I feel like that's where a lot of bias and, um, some of those covert things that we don't necessarily see are driving our behavior. So I'm curious your thoughts. I know you talk about self-awareness, like what are some of the things people can do to become more aware of even those covert, you know, things that are coming up and might be referencing a traumatic event? Uh, uh, That's a, that's a great question. One uh, is to be willing to be open to feedback from other people. Um, That's a big one because I find that I cannot always become self-aware on my own. I need a mirror to look into. And one of the really great examples from my own life that I often think of when we talk about this is I had the marvelous opportunity to participate in the Center for Creative Leadership's leadership development program. And they do a 360 evaluation from your peers and your direct reports and your supervisors. And they give you the feedback during the the week of of the intensive of the leadership development program. And the consistent feedback for me back in, this would have been about 1997-ish, but the consistent feedback from all 360 degrees was that I was blunt and abrasive. And there was a third word that was sort of like that. And that was really shocking to me. That was hard feedback to hear, of course. And I also couldn't understand it at first because I thought I was a pretty nice person. And it's true. I am a very nice person. And I even was back in 1997. And the trauma I was dealing with and hadn't assessed at the level of self-awareness yet made me have a lot of social anxiety. So when I was talking to someone, my number one internal driver was to get out of the conversation as quickly as possible and restore myself to feeling comfortable because interaction with other people was uncomfortable. And so I came across to other people as blunt and and abrasive, felt uncomfortable and needed to check. And huge, it took me like a a year or so to really process through all of that and notice, start to notice it in myself. Yeah, I mean, I think that is all interesting. And I also think that 
Um, I look at it like a system. I think you mentioned earlier about systems Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, what feels true to me is that we are relational beings trying to have an experience with other relational beings. And when within our systems, if we have things that have come up to protect that trauma that is there, Mm -hmm. um, it is not relational. It's sole purpose in my system is to help protect me from being vulnerable, from being wounded, from being in danger, which has no relational context to other people. So I, for me, what feels true as part of the process is also trying to understand how we protect ourselves and how that protection of that trauma is impacting others and how that may even prevent us from doing some of that processing that you were talking about to help, um, help you kind of move through that trauma and do some of that healing work. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that in addition to having good mirrors, people who will tell you the truth from a place of um, really wanting to help and, and be um, gentle and loving with you rather than trying to beat you up with it. Um, there's also uh, just spending time with yourself in, um, in meditation, in journaling, in reading books that help open self-awareness, that help stand how our systems work and how our mind works, particularly uh, in relationship to the body systems. Those are all, those are very helpful tools as well. Self-reflection opportunities to um, just spend time with me and notice myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that for me, it's self-reflection without judgment and Mm. using a lot of curiosity to just get a better understanding of myself. Um, cause I know I have a tendency to be really critical and judgmental of myself. Like if, mm-hmm. you know, let's say something happened and that's just a tool that I have probably a trauma response that I developed at some point to be really hypercritical and judgmental. But if we can be curious, I feel like that's almost a doorway into helping us understand and work with that trauma a little bit better. And be, and that's where a lot of, for me, that relational aspect comes in is I can be yes. more relational when I'm curious versus oh, yes. judgmental or, and I know a lot of people have that kind of inner critic is talked about a lot. Um, yeah. And my, um, <laughs> my, I was going to start with my current focus for my life, my life lesson that I'm going to be learning probably for the next 30 years, if I can live that long is curiosity over certainty is the way to go. I'm, I'm really certain I know what's wrong with you. And I'm really certain I know what's wrong with me and I can fix any problem. I'm a real, I'm a real fixer. And if I can stay curious instead of certain that there's a problem and I know the solution that brings us to the relational capacity to really work together in whatever is and find our way through it in a different kind of way. And what we're talking about here is what I call the success strategy of independence, which is the toddler. Mm. As a toddler, we're supposed to start telling the world, this is who I am. This is what I think, this is how I feel, and this is what I want. Because we already, as an infant, developed the ability to say that I call the success strategy of trust because we get our needs met by trusting other people. And so then we get to a little bit older and we have to start talking and explaining and expressing all the rest of us. And we in America really mess with this period of development uh, 
a, a hard way. And so what a lot of us come through that toddler period with is this self-criticism instead of the sense of independence of I know who I am and I'm okay with who I am, how I, how I think, what I feel, what I want. I'm, I'm a good person with all of that. What we wind up with is I'm not a good person unless I think the way you think, a parent, teacher, authority figure. I'm not a good person unless I feel the right feelings that are socially acceptable. I'm not a good person if I want things that you think are the wrong things to want. I should only want these other things that you think are the right things to want. You, the world out there. Right. And that can be challenging for people who maybe grew up in like narcissistic households or with mm -hmm. parents who um, were unpredictable and kind of questioned that sense of trust. Um, yeah. So I know that there's many layers to trauma and, you know, a lot of that's influenced by kind of that development period, right. Early in our lives. And um, I think part of the journey is just really understanding that yes. and that independence. I really love because I feel like we do, especially in our society, lose our sense of that independence. And we become really dependent on what others think, how others perceive us. It's very external. It's mm -hmm. very, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, it feels like we're always seeking that external validation. And what I hear you saying is kind of bringing that kind of validation back to ourself and really owning that. And in that independent space, being able to really thrive and right. Right. yeah. And even very, without a narcissistic parent or a, a parent who's really, truly traumatic, you know, delivering the traumatic experience regularly, your, our brains can get wired around pleasing other people rather than knowing who we are. And it's, it's a, that's a tough one to break because we're so young uh, to, you know, 18 months to two and a half, three years old. We don't remember any of that. We don't remember the experience and even pretty nice parents, you know, so you say to your, every toddler says to a parent, I hate you. It's pretty common. And if what your loving parent says back to you is, oh, honey, you don't hate me. I know you love me. <laughs> well, that's not traumatic, but that's telling you that it's not okay to feel the feeling you're having. Mm. And it's a, just such a simple shift to, I hear that you hate me and I love you. And I know that you also love me and it's okay to hate me right now. Mm. You're really angry yeah. and it's okay to feel like you hate me right now. That's all right. Yeah. That's a validation of, I know who you are. I see you. And yeah. we, we, you know, I often say when infants are learning to walk at nine months to 16, 17 months of age, and they fall down all the time, hmm. we don't identify them and label them as bad at walking. Yeah. When toddlers start trying to express how they feel, what they think and what they want, they fall down all the time then too. They're bad at it. They're the worst little diplomats you can imagine for a pretty long time. <laughs> they just, you know, they throw tantrums. They tell you yeah. kinds of things that don't look stable, but they're not. And then we immediately label them as terrible, bad um, bullies. We, we have all these words that we tell them about who they are at an age when they can now remember that yeah. that's what they're being told that it's being wired into them. And really they're just falling down on a learning curve and they're going to get better at it if we help them. Yeah. I feel like that takes a, a, a strong command of self to be yes. able to shift into that perspective to say, honey, yes, I hear you saying that you hate me right now and I love you anyway. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, I mean, I think that's a very powerful tool. I mean, even in, you know, corporate situations, how many times do we label people certain things without validating them, without really taking the time? Um, and our, how many times we see them, people just reacting to right. situations that come up. Um, such a fascinating topic. And you're right. I mean, if we can think about the toddler who's learning to walk, we don't, you know, chastise them or make them feel like there's some terrible person because they're learning. I mean, there is a curve. And I think also that a lot of the healing process and knowing yourself and kind of developing these success strategies is also a process too, right? We can't just assume tomorrow we're going to snap our fingers and be right. you know, completely right. like self-aware, have self-command and be able to say all the right things. And, um, I think it's all a process. And I think it's just, for me, it's felt like the more I can get control of myself and understanding my own system traumas, what's coming up, I, I can then, um, be more responsive with others. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really true. And it, it's, it's that the more I am aware, I, I can do this at any age. I can do this toddler mm -hmm. growth at any age that I want to begin. So if I can start Start to ask myself at 20, at 30, at 40, at 50, I'm going to be a better leader if I can clearly say, this is what I think, this is how I'm feeling about this, this is what I want as an outcome. Yeah. And, you know, for me, with the traumatic background that I grew up with, the very first time I ever said in a definitive way, I want this, I was terrified, like literally had the edges of my vision darkened and my heart started racing and my palms sweated because I was saying what I wanted. Well, <laughs> I had to get from there to where I am, you know, a few years later saying, this is what I want. And I feel perfectly comfortable and safe doing so saying, yeah. this is what I want. Yeah. That is powerful. It, it can be a very traumatic and um, anxiety provoking experience um, depending on where you're at in your journey. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. That resonates with me. Now I wanted to ask you real quick, cause this is something I'm really curious about. We've talked about trauma. We've talked about some success strategies that you can use, but I'm curious, like, what is your perspective on why it's important for corporate leaders to be trauma informed? And what does that look like? Cause I can imagine some corporate leaders saying, Hey, I'm not a therapist. I'm not, you know, a psychologist. This is my job to like coddle and babysit and you know, help heal people around me? Um, why do I need to know about trauma? So I'm curious, like, <laughs> why do you feel like lead, it's important for leaders to be trauma-informed? Well, primarily because they have to put their own oxygen mask on first, just like the adult on an airplane, when it starts to go down, you don't put the oxygen mask on the, the helpless person. You put it on you first so that you can be there and be the presence that is safe. So we, as the leaders, in our self-awareness, strengthen our leadership. The more we're aware of the ways in which early programming, early wiring is informing or pushing or driving our behavior, the better leader we will be. And that doesn't mean that I have to, as a strong leader who is self-aware and healing my own old wiring, I don't have to help other people, but it helps me to be able to recognize that's what's going on. And so I can say, 
in my, let's say, in my supervision and performance appraisal of a staff member that I'm responsible for, I can say, look, this is stuff we can work on. This is job related. This other stuff that's happening, that's not my job. That's like you need to do. That's about you. This is about the job. And if we can differentiate that for ourselves and develop our own self-awareness around the stuff that's affecting the job that is not the job, then we can help divide it out for the people who work with us. Yeah. I think that's a powerful distinction. I don't think it's about necessarily people having to have the skills to heal people's trauma, but I feel like there's some level of healing and just understanding and being able to spot when a trauma response is happening. And I'll give the example that I see quite a lot in corporate is during any kind of an organizational change. Um, mm. I also know of a leader who stepped into a role about a year ago and has been trying to implement some new changes and wants to release, you know, new platforms, new, a whole new strategy, and they're facing a lot of resistance. And mm. my observation was, what is the history of this organization? Do you know that five or six years ago, there was a lot of trauma around something similar that happened that a leader came in and tried to change things up and it was very toxic. And a lot of people had a lot of, um, you know, just reactions to what was happening in the environment. Could this be referencing that? Um, because it's so similar. And you, so whenever there's change, I mean, I think it's really important, especially for leaders to recognize trauma because- yeah. I feel like that is an activator for a lot of people. Whenever their environment changes, whenever something is out of their control or there's an unknown, people mm -hmm. tend, mm -hmm. at least from my experience, tend to default back into, again, referencing either a trauma or something that they've been through that brings them an uneasy feeling. So as a leader, just being aware of that, saying, oh, okay, this is why there's resistance. It's not because they don't like what right. we're doing or bought into the vision. Because what I find is a lot of times in corporate, we want to double down on the strategy. It's like, okay, well, we just need to really, really communicate the strategy. And we have to have like a three hour meeting to, you know, make sure everybody really understands the strategy. And I'm always there to say, well, what if it isn't the strategy? What if everyone right. understands it? It's just that they're afraid because they've been down this road before and it's burned them and they are having a reaction. Absolutely. Um, and, and you I, know, even... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, even without an identified trauma, like a, a history of abuse or something like that, our early brain wiring can absolutely be working against us. And no matter whether there is past trauma with change, change is difficult for human beings. Even positive change, growing the organization, new resources, new, uh, you know, a new opportunity on the horizon, that will always predictably bring out everybody's uh, faulty wiring, if you will. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is, however I'm reactive to change, whatever my personal level of trauma or history, I will act out of that. And if leaders take all that personally or make it about communication or something else, right. it, it's they're, they're probably going to make it worse and they're going to spend a lot of time unnecessarily. Because all we need to do is go, okay, there's Sarah acting out her usual reaction of fear about change. And there's Jeffrey over there doing his usual thing about trying to take control when he feels out of control. It's like we get to recognize these are patterns that are familiar for these people and it's their default. Yeah, It's not about me or yep. the decision. And I think when you go on your own 
trauma journey and you, you know, experience that for yourself. I know for myself that it's really, it's a lot easier for me to identify that and go, Oh, I've seen that in myself. That must be what's happening. Or, Oh, I've seen that happen before. I know what might be lurking. Right. So I feel like the more we kind of explore our own trauma, like you said, put your mask on first, Uh the more we explore our own trauma, we start to identify it in others around us. And that even builds more empathy, more connection, capacity for compassion. Like so many of these things that we like talk about in corporations and our cultures, but we don't really bring it to life. And I feel like a big missing piece is the trauma that we don't really identify or talk about enough. It's like, we're afraid of it. Yeah, exactly. Because who wants to look at trauma? (laughs) Who wants to look at what's wrong with themselves or what, you know, could, you know, it's nobody wants to, I, I, my experience is that people just don't want to really turn that microscope close look on their own history. And that's the value, I think, of the self-aware success strategies. It's seven simple, identifiable strategies from our early years. Like, how do you trust right now in your life? When you have a need, how do you get it met? When you uh, express who you are, how do you feel about that? And what's it like? Do you know who you are? Can you say what you want? Can you, in simple terms, just flat out say, this is what I think and feel comfortable with that, even if it's a different opinion from everyone else's in the room. And then if I could go ahead and just introduce the other five, mm-hmm. how do you, uh, how are you inspired? What's your faith in possibility? That's what I call the strategy of the three-year-old is excitement, enthusiasm, creativity. That's a three-year-old in a package. They believe all things are possible. And where is that in you? How do you get what you want? Once you're able to say, I want this as a toddler, when you're four, you go about negotiating to get it. And four-year-olds are like the little diplomats, literally the little, the little labor negotiators of the early childhood <laughs> classroom. They can talk you into almost anything if you let them, if you're willing to negotiate with them. And then when you're five, learning how to be the strategic planner, how to have a vision, a goal, and develop a strategy for getting there. And then finally at six and seven, your capacity, your strategy, if you will, for compromising when negotiation isn't enough and for accepting that you don't always get what you want. Even if you negotiate and compromise really, really well, sometimes it doesn't go your way. You have to let things go. And those strategies taken to an adult level become a way to A, expand self-awareness about how am I bringing these experiences from my first seven years, what I learned about how to do these things, how am I bringing them as reactive, knee-jerk, this is just the way I do it without any thinking and reflection and noticing and self-awareness of how that's working for me. Yeah, yeah I can, that last one about um, accepting what I heard was basically, you don't always get what you want or it yep. doesn't always go yeah. your way. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I, I see that a lot in adults, right? I think that is also another big roadblock to change is, is that acceptance piece and mm-hmm. really understanding. And I think, unfortunately, I don't, you know, at least from my experience, I don't know how much of this were even taught or even demonstrated or modeled through early, especially early childhood development. Um, 
So I can understand why you become an adult and you're like, well, why can't I do these things? Or why am I Mm. you know, acting the way that I am? Or why is this hard for me? It's because we weren't really ever taught it. Um, at least most of us. And then when, especially you become a leader, it's like almost expected, like here, we'll send you to a week training. And then you're now a manager (laughs) or leader. And it's like, well, wait a second. Okay. Um, so I, I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of, um, you can apply a lot of those same strategies, um, to your adult life. And I think it really starts back with that curiosity and just intrinsic motivation to want to be more aware, to want to, um, make that pivot. I think that's a big one is, you know, how you can get through that discomfort or that resistance to wanting to do something, make a change. Right. Um, yeah, I think those are some of the key components that, you know, as people in leadership positions, um, really is something I think is absolutely necessary um, to be able to be a leader, especially in, you know, this new world that we're living in. And as you noted, a lot of us, I certainly was, get thrust into leadership positions before we have all of these strategies really in our pockets and and uh, the capacity to use them well. And so in my some of my earliest leadership roles, I was extremely controlling of my staff. I was micromanaging the heck out of them wow. all the time mm-hmm. because I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted. I didn't for it. And I didn't know how to compromise and I didn't know how to accept that I didn't always get it. And so without those tools to use, I just had to control everybody every second of the day. And I'm sure as nice as I was, people love me, but oh my gosh, they probably went home at the end of the day going, oh, she's exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I wish these were skills we gave leaders earlier on in their careers. And you know, a lot of the, the training that I'm seeing is like, you know, very, again, seeming symptomatic. It's like telling them to, you know, con- make sure you connect with your, you know, employees, make sure you have one-on-ones with them, make sure you talk to them, make sure you ask them how they're doing. I mean, very basic kind of again, surface level, but I think what you're mm-hmm. talking about feels like a much deeper, um, journey into self-awareness and becoming again, more of that responsive leader versus that reactive leader. And I, am not sure that I can observe patterns in other people's behavior, um, you know, with some reliability and some understanding, unless I am willing to look at my own patterns with that same kind of curiosity and understanding and compassion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, what comes up for me when you're saying that is, yes, that is true. And what it goes back to that self-command again is like how we regulate ourselves because mm-hmm. I can feel that like, I would say, yeah, I want to do that, but I can see a lot of that kind of unresolved, um, trauma or, or, you know, feelings and energy inside of me gets in the way. And I'm not able to really step into that as much, especially under like stressful, especially under stress. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's really difficult for some leaders to really have that really good self-command. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. One of my most embarrassing moments as a leader was when I simply dissolved in tears in a, in a meeting of real importance with some really significant corporate leaders. I was, uh, working in essentially a nonprofit capacity and looking for corporate partners and I just lost it. 
in the middle of someone having an expectation for me to do more work, I just felt completely overwhelmed by the work I already had to do and could not get myself out of that place of reactivity and have looked back on that moment in my career as um, not a failing, but as a significant opportunity to learn, mm. honey, you need to do some more work. <laughs> you need some yeah. more self-awareness about why this just happened. Yeah. And I always say it's a good thing. It feels like life is always presenting you with opportunities like that right. too. It, yes. it doesn't end either. I feel like this is mastery type work. Um, yes. It's not something that you just practice for a few years and then you never, I feel like it's a constant just kind of ritual that you were doing with yourself, that awareness, that um, all the, you know, understanding trauma and, you know, however much you explore in like therapy and really kind of trying to resolve some of that. I think a lot of it is a lifelong journey. It's not something yeah. we just kind of pick up. And yes. again, life is always testing us. I always say that <laughs> like life is saying, Jen, have you kind of resolved this yet? Let me put right. this out. <laughs> oh no, you haven't. That's okay. Well, let's work on it some more. I mean, yeah. I go, oh my gosh, I thought I was, I thought I had that one down, but there's another opportunity for you to grow. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't what... like the word failure, to be honest, when you mentioned yeah. that I like, I like that opportunity to learn and learn in a forward way where it's like, okay, let next time, what do I want? How do I want to show up? Or what did I learn from that? So that next time I can be the, the best leader I can be. I mean, one of the, um, one of my most favorite quotes from a, a friend who worked in, uh, she was a psychiatric nurse. So she worked with drug and alcohol rehab patients all of her career. She used to call it, oh, another FGO. Terrific. Another FGO. And I finally said, what's an FGO? Well, it's an F and growth opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like too. I'm like, really? Yeah, gotta right. grow it some does. more, huh? It does. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's, and I I've talked about this on other podcasts that I've done, but I, uh, shared with the listeners that I even have like the way I practice these things that we're talking about is I use even little everyday things that I know just annoy me or tick me off or, you know, things that I know that don't have a lot of like, there aren't a lot of consequences. So it's a good place to practice, like standing in line <laughs> and waiting and waiting. I'm very impatient. Those are the opportunities when I start tapping into these success strategies and skills, right? Saying, okay, yeah, what am I noticing? What's happening to me right now? What's coming up? And just going through, like, can I, I've even asked myself, honestly, standing in line, I'm like, Jen, can we change this situation right now? Can you leave or can you stay and just be present with this and just be okay? At some point yeah. you might have to say, no, I really can't change it. And I don't really right. have other options. So I guess I'll just stand here. And, Ooh. but yeah, I mean, everyday annoyances or yeah. everyday things. One of my have. greatest uh, lessons I mentioned, uh, controlling things as something that I've been working on since I was a young, young leader. Um, one of my greatest lessons is when I decided to give up living in a sticks and bricks house and live full time. Be an itinerant speaker on the road back in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I am telling you, living in an RV is the best lesson in you don't have any control you could ask for. Yeah. And I am asked over and over and over again, day in and to give up control because I have no control. The yeah. weather, the road, the traffic, the, the mm -hmm. I thought I was reserved to stay at this park and now you're telling me I can't stay here. I mean, it's like, Every day there is something that, that in which there's some way in which the world is telling me, yeah, you're not in charge of this. Yeah. And 
What's funny is, I mean, the irony is we're all spending so much time trying to figure out and come up with ways to control as much as we can and not realizing that we actually don't ever have control ever. or very much. Right? So, yeah. I mean, that's the irony is we spend a lot of energy and time and, you know, thought and just how we show up in everyday life, trying to control things that really are, are never, and will never be in our control. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, perfect example, like you're saying with the RV. Yeah. There's a lot of things that you cannot control. And I think it's a matter of choice of how, how you're going to work with that situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. Can you be curious? Can you, you know, just roll with it? It's hard for some people, but I feel like the more you, again, practice it, practice mm -hmm. and just notice, um, and use those opportunities. I know a lot of people like to just get on their phones and just kind of zone out when they're in traffic or in a standing in line, but can you just notice? And it's actually quite interesting. Um, all the things that I noticed, especially in like grocery stores or really crowded places. If you just kind of observe what's going on around you, it's actually quite fascinating. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> just watching humans interact and how they, um, yeah, it's fascinating. So yeah, it's, I think something we can do and it's not necessarily you know, like those success strategies you mentioned, I don't think it's something you have to necessarily wait for the right opportunity. Just find right. it, practice it all the time. Um, yeah. 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 And I think if we just keep remembering, I've got early wiring, it could be working against me. What can I notice about how I'm dealing with this? What can I, how can I strengthen my self-awareness and know that that will, no matter how, even if it's just by two degrees today, that makes me a stronger leader tomorrow. The more yep. self-aware I am, the stronger leader I'm going to be, no matter what kind of leadership position I'm in. Yep. And we're all leaders in some way. I mean, single mm -hmm. mothers, you know, uh, project managers to janitors, to teachers, to, I mean, mm -hmm. we're all leaders in some way. And I think it's a great message to, to kind of wrap up the show with that, you know, this work is really that inside out approach and we need to become better leaders of ourselves first is really always mm -hmm. my message before we want to start doing that. So start with some of these success strategies and just get curious. Yeah. 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 Well, is there anything you would like to end or leave the guests with any other thoughts? Well, I would like to offer a, a gift to any of your listeners who would like to send me an email at carol at lcarolscott.com. I have a little book at 28 pages cover to cover called Become Your Sassy Self. And Ooh. it gives an introduction to the seven success strategies of self-awareness and where they come from in our early childhood and um, kind of how to look at them in yourself now and begin that first step of kind of, it's a self-assessment really. It's kind of a way to say, is this how it's going for me or is that how it's going for me? And I'll return it by email. Awesome. Great. That is, and I'll also make sure to include that in the show notes in case anybody Great. missed it. Um, so that you can connect with Dr. L. Carol Scott. Thank you so much for your time today. It was such a pleasure getting to speak to you about how we can all become more trauma-informed and become better leaders of ourselves. Thank you, Jen. It was a great, great conversation.